Over a hill and under a misty mountain, deep within the unceded Musqueam territory of Vancouver, British Columbia, I'm Doug Vandalay with another episode of Comedy Zeitgeist. You can follow the show on Twitter at Comedy Zeitgeist and pester me at Doug Vandalay. Hello to everybody listening on CITR 101.9 here for the first 30 minutes of the show. I guess dress codes don't make sense in audio format, so just for my next guest, let's say no jacket required. I'm joined today by Sam Tonning. How's it going, Sam? Doug, it's great. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. Excellent. Uh, so, of course, that's a uh, reference to the seminal album of... of uh, I almost said Late Great, but he's very much still alive. <laughs> uh, Phil Collins. Much to some people's chagrin, but I, I'm a fan. Yeah, I am a huge fan of Phil Collins. I love him. That album, No Jacket Required, is so good. Uh, I think that was the number one album when I was born in 85. If my dad wasn't lying to me, I'd have to go back and check. At least in the Billboard charts. But yeah, it's it's amazing. So do you grow up with uh, Phil Collins? No, not really. No, my dad liked old blues. I got into it later in life as a teenager. Watching Tarzan? No, I was rebelling. It's pretty lame, man. Like right. I rebelled against my dad's cool choice of music by listening to 80s pop, like Huey Lewis and Phil Collins. I mean, I'm not a big Peter Gabriel fan. Like Actually, I really don't like Peter Gabriel that much, which kind of surprises people. But yeah, 80s pop music is big for me. I have pretty similar views about Peter Gabriel. I think he's a I think he's a hypocrite mainly. So he was so upset at what Phil Collins did to Genesis. Sure, yeah. Did to Genesis and turning them more into like a from prog rock into a into pop and pop, mainstream because totally. they wanted to be successful and make money <laughs> and have fun. Not that I don't love prog, but then he goes and makes Sledgehammer. Yeah. Which can, can is the most, sellout. yeah, that's, that's like so against his integrity. Like if you just made that without complaining, I think I'd like it more. Oh, for sure. But in context, it's like, sh- shut up. Exactly. But I was going to swear there. I don't know if you have swearing on the program. You can swear. The, you'll, you'll, if you do, it just means I got to put a content warning at the start of the... Inter- what time does this broadcast? I know because I've only listened to the podcast of which I've listened to a few episodes you've done. They're great. Well, thank you. But CITR, uh, what time is the broadcast? Uh, 9.30 in the morning. Okay. So yeah, you have to put the content warning on. No problem. Uh, apologies to anyone out there if I've ever forgotten to do that. <laughs> I'm sure I have. I also forget to t- check the box sometimes in my uploads on our podcast hosts for oh, the explicit content. Sure. But I'm pretty sure, I, I, I'd say 50-50 accurate. If you're listening to this show, maybe sometimes someone's going to drop an F-bomb. But, you know, nothing nothing too edgy, nothing to worry about. Speaking of, how would you describe your brand of comedy? Well, uh, pretty much at its core, I tell dick jokes. Right. I think that's about it. I, uh, you know, I like jokes. I like jokes about genitals. And uh, sex, you know, life, love, and the way it is, right? You know, everyday topics that impact all of us. I'm, I tell jokes. I tell dirty jokes. That's pretty much it. Like, uh, I know we got song and dance people and, uh, you know, topical comedians, political comics, people with a message. But the only message I have is uh, it's okay to be as insecure in yourself as I am on stage. So. Oh, so, so you project some of that insecurity? <laughs> no, I don't know. I uh, tell dirty Set up punch jokes, tags, classic comedy, you know, like, I've been called, and I don't think I'm out of line to say this about myself, it's like a throwback, you know, self-revelatory pop comedy right now is more longer form stuff, I'm in search of the joke, you know, set up, punch, tag, move on, that's what it is, and I talk about blue stuff, because... Why the hell not? I'm already a white guy. I may as well dig in. Uh, for those who who haven't listened to your comedy, who would you say who would you say is other comedians like you that they might have heard of? 
Well, right now, I think it'd probably be a tell. Is most likely that kind of in your face. David boom, tell. Boom, David tell. Yeah. yeah. Um, that style, like a higher energy, say Robert Schimmel, rest in peace, sir. But uh, guys like that, yeah. Cool. Um, who else? We had an episode we talked about David Tell. Yeah, with Mark. Yeah, I thought that was a good choice for him. I thought he would have picked like Jeselnik or something, to be honest. But um, yeah, Attell, huge. Yeah, I think maybe Jeselnik would be a bit too uh, on the nose yeah. for Mark to talk about. I guess so. That makes sense. Yeah, and I, for me, probably Attell would be too much on the nose too. And it's been talked about, so. Exactly. So who knows? Uh, tell us about the Brett Martin show. Well, the Brett Martin show is like a late night style talk show that's a monthly or sometimes twice a month at Yuck Yucks, um, late night Friday. It's hosted by Brett Martin, of course, eponymous show. Um, and it follows kind of a classic formula. You know, there's the monologue. We have a guest. We have skits. A uh, bit more because it's a late night. People are drinking. We have some audience participation bits and... Uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I'm the sidekick. Uh, I like to think of myself as like the Hank Kingsley of the show, you know, uh, for anyone who doesn't get the reference, that's Larry Sanders. You know, Andy Richter, definitely Yeah, that kind of vein. Yeah, uh, Hannibal Buress. Uh, we are, we're not poking fun at the medium. The Eric Andre show is poking fun at the medium. And from the outset, this was respecting the established and successful form of late night talk shows. Right. Uh, so no, not like Hannibal. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so it's more like a more like a kind of like a Carson. Yeah, exactly. Kind of it's program. in that vein. Yeah, less goofy than Fallon, about as ridiculous as early Conan, kind of thing. Yeah. Right. So that's really I know for me and Brett that was huge, um, especially like the NBC era Letterman into the early Conan stuff. That's what is inspirational. I noticed uh, there you specifically avoided Leno, which I'm sure will come up in the second half of the program. Well, I don't know. Uh, Leno is my favorite late night talk show host. Really? Oh, absolutely. He's the only one who did 10 plus minutes of monologue every show. Set up, punch, tag, set up, punch, tag. Speaks to me. You know, ever since I was a kid, I loved watching. This is about like the late 90s. So I was early teenager and onwards. It was always Leno, then Conan. NBC owned late night for a reason, in my view. You know, I mean, Letterman could do whatever the heck he wants, but it was Leno and Conan. And Leno, I loved the cheesy monologue. And it's cheesy because he mastered it and made it a trope, you know, that style of joke. But he nailed it. Yeah, I love Leno. He's one of my favorites. I went and saw him down in L.A. when I was there a couple of years ago. And yeah, I don't know. It doesn't say in my bio, but he's one of my favorite comedians. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. How long have you been hosting Wall to Wall? Wall to Wall just started, actually, just last started. month. Yeah. No, our October show. Yeah, October 13th was our first one. Couldn't get tickets, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, we sold out. That's right. Uh, before the show even started, which is a wonderful treat to have in Vancouver comedy, but it's me and Simon King once a month at that venue, uh, which is a wonderful place. On so my Heather and Eric over at the Wallflower, check them out. And uh, yeah, I mean, our mission is book a great show every month. And that's it. I mean, that's, that's a pretty hard one to top your, your uh, lineup for that first show. Yeah, and our second one, I think, is right up there with it. I mean, we have obviously Simon's doing a long set I'm hosting. We have Brett Martin of The Brett Martin Show. Jane Stanton, who just came out with a great record. Um, as well, we have Chris Griffin, who just recorded his special at the Biltmore. We have guest sets from Randy Newmeyer and Ron Williams. So that's a pretty stellar lineup as well. And December is like the same thing, you know? Are uh, people able to book now? Yeah. Which is now is next Wednesday? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Wall to wall comedy. 
look it up on Eventbrite. We got tickets for sale. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to jump into that one early. Yeah, it's awesome. So are you still doing musical jokes? Well, I uh, did that with a festival this year and haven't had the opportunity to do it again yet. But I, it's something I want to keep doing because there's really like a, a niche in musical comedy, especially in the city. There is so much great musical comedic talent. And no dedicated outlet, you know? And I think with the market as it is right now, with so many shows going on and, you know, shows targeted to whatever comedy fan there is, there's an opportunity for showcasing the great musical comedic talent in town. And that's what I try to do. So I put it on a few times, and I'd like to do it again pretty soon, and maybe even next year as well in the festival. So I couldn't find much information about that one. Sure. Um yeah, it's uh, straight up musical comedy. <laughs> so just like uh, any other show, but uh, it's geared more towards. Oh yeah. Okay. So actually, and... how it is? Um, so I would host it. Uh, the running gag is I don't play music, but I love music and comedy. So put them together, and then we have a few guests sing some songs. That's it. Funny songs they've written, or parody songs, or people who do musical kind of stand-up bits. Like uh, a highlight was James Kennedy has this great dubstep bit. I'll leave it at that. But it's like ten minutes of nonstop destroying. And then I had Harris Anderson close it out, who previous guest on the show um, is a great comedian, but also a great musical comedian. And so he did five, six songs at the end of the show. And so that's the show. Who else have you had on there? Oh, yeah. Uh, Colin Lamb has been on it. It was really funny. We had Gavin Clarkson, Maddie Kelly, Susie Rossum, uh, Drew Ference from Victoria. He's a really funny comic as well. I've been on it, and I'm forgetting names, and I am very sorry. Oh, that's all right. If you've been on there, send some uh, angry hate mail out. Please way. do. Gavin's coming on in a couple of weeks. Oh, he's great. You're going to have a lot of fun. That. What, uh, what's your favorite room in Vancouver to perform in? I'd say my home room would be Yuck Yucks, Vancouver. That's my favorite room I'm most comfortable in. Um, but outside of the clubs, probably uh, Kino. It's just a really welcoming space. They go and hang out every week. Uh, Laura Chili and Steve Allen, who run that show and have run it for almost 11 years, do a great job of fostering a really positive environment for new, up-and-coming, and established comics to come and hang out and uh, take part on a great stage. So that would be probably my independent room in town. I went to the keynote on Monday for their open mic night. Oh, great. Were you there when I was there? Uh, I don't know. Were you performing? I went up super early, yeah. Oh, no, I don't think so. I, I went up at 8. I came in at 8. I didn't go up. I didn't perform. Oh, I got up at like 8.25, so you would have been there. Maybe I did see. Yeah, maybe. I was that... Not memorable. I told it some Wait, new when jokes. did it start? Did it start at 8 or did it start at 7? started at 8. Okay, we were one hour late, so... Oh, you got there at 9 then? Got there at 9. Oh, okay, then yeah. yeah. That's their open mic. Mm, uh, the show I'm talking... one of the best open mics I've uh, actually ever been to. That one especially. A lot, lot of talent, a lot of people there. Um, but I'm referring... My comfort room is not that one. It's the Tuesday. It's their booked show. Yeah. But yeah, they recently started doing that open mic, and I think it's been great for the community to have a Monday outlet, you know? Because there's so... It seems like Vancouver's at a point right now where there's a lot of open mic, not as many book shows. So good for new comics coming up, always having the opportunities because the book shows become harder to get on. There's fewer of them. Do you think that in a way with there being more open mics and less book shows, then it's kind of like people will be stuck in this open mic hell? Either that, um, or then they'll move, the people running the mics move on and run book shows, and then kind of the scene progresses along with that. It definitely seems like we're in a bubble right now about a number of people doing it, for sure, because there's so many opportunities, and a lot of people are filling those opportunities, right? Yeah. Uh, so in a couple of years, it'll be interesting to see, 
Because when I moved to Vancouver, uh, there weren't any open mics. There was like one open mic a week. And then there were a few, and then there was down to two, and then now there's seven, you know? So it'll be interesting to see next year or the year after which ones go away and then or turn into book shows, etc. Or if any new ones spring up. Yeah, because now the only night that doesn't have open mic comedy is a Friday. Right, that's interesting. Yeah, so Saturday through Thursday, someone who wants to give comedy a try for the first time can get up seven times because there's two open mics on a Thursday. And then not on at the same time? Yeah, exactly. Or you can do both. Uh, did you start in Vancouver? No, I started in Victoria in 2013, and I was there for about a year and a bit. Then I got a job out here, and I continued. But yeah, it's, I'm from Vancouver now, Yeah, I've been doing it mostly here. How long have uh, you been doing comedy? Five and a half years. And how, how long, uh, while we're talking about open sure. mics, how long uh, was that open mic stage? For me, it was extra long. Um I'd say I got out of the open mic scene really in 2016. So about three years for me. I was uh, slow going. Yeah, I told a lot of really just dark stuff. Didn't work. So kind of transitioning away from that into more like a filthy, fun kind of attitude. And yeah, really summer of 2016, I started professionalizing it a bit, you know, getting out of open mic and into a booked environment and into the club. What would your advice be for people in that stage trying to break out of it? Sure. Funny first. doesn't matter what you're talking about, but funny is the most important thing. So whatever your style is, who cares? It doesn't matter. There's always going to be someone willing to listen to whatever style, one-liner, songs, you know, parody. Who cares? But if it's funny, you'll do great. So I know, especially for Blue Axe, and in my experience, you start with the shock, you know, and then you get... You, you conflate the idea that a reaction is the same as a laugh. And it's not. Both are reactions, but one you don't want. So that like groan or that, yeah, really it's usually groans or disgust, verbalized, is not the same as a laugh. Chase the laugh. Do whatever you want. Throw whatever kind of paint at the wall, but keep what sticks, you know? So you sort of A-B test your jokes. Always. That's all this is. Like, that's why you go up all the time you can, right? Yeah. So you got to have a thick skin in those stages, oh. especially if you're doing uh, more blue humor. As blue you know. or one-liners especially is another thing. So you go up and if, if you're trying to do like a Stephen Wright type of thing, you're going to bomb a lot because a lot of them are just dumb puns. You know, this wordplay jokes, etc. Your strike rate's going to be pretty low. So you got to have the thick skin to get through it and keep what works and keep writing and on and on. But if you come up and you tell this great story about the first time you got high on mushrooms, you know, and you shit yourself and you're going to have people on board because it's just, you know, fun party kind of thing. But it's much more difficult to kind of weather the pain of <laughs> jokes that aren't mainstream. Do you have a story about the first time you got high on mushrooms? No, no, I, I, um, I'm not a drug user. Damn, I thought that that was going to be a, a little I wish, nugget there. I wish I had a bit on that. Uh, no, I don't. I. Uh, well, maybe, maybe you can uh, do something this weekend. <laughs> hey, why not, right? Make some stories. Maybe you can uh, take advantage of legalization. Oh, of, uh, yeah. Of um, Mushrooms. Yeah, legalization <laughs> of mushrooms, if only. So you're the support act on What's So Funny on 100.5 Vancouver Co-op Radio. That's right. Yeah, I, uh, I'm the producer, 
you know, sit in the booth slash sidekick to Guy McPherson's long-running radio show podcast. Have you listened to it? I haven't. You haven't? It's been going for 14 years, and it's an interview show with comedians. I better listen to it then. <laughs> I'm always looking for a radio station, because I don't know what to listen to here. I, sure. I've lived here for about a, a year and three months. And co-op radio is great. Um, you know, it's community radio. It's exactly what you'd expect it to be. But we have the 11 p.m. to midnight slot, this coveted 11 p.m. to midnight slot on a Sunday night. <laughs> it's been going for, you know, 14 years in that spot. I've only been involved for two, but yeah, it's fantastic. There's The archives are all there. Check it out. What's so funny? CFRO. Have you had radio experience before that? No. Um, I've done some voiceover training, but not really radio. And I come from a music background, so kind of sound work I get. Um, but no, no radio work before that. Yeah, I ask as, uh, uh, well, listeners won't know because I'll cut it out. But uh, at the beginning, we were having some, some audio issues, uh, which I wouldn't have picked up on uh, without Sam's help. So <laughs> thank you for that. Oh, you're very welcome. All right. Uh, well, my next question is, tell me what you love about Phil Collins. I feel like we already talked about that, but uh, maybe we can Let expound me... on it a little more. <laughs> Phil Collins, for me, represents all that it is to be a modern man. He's emotional. He, he cares about himself and the world around him. Uh, he's interested in what, what, what people think of him, you know, his pursuit of, of high-quality technical pop music just shows a real caring uh, about people's opinion of him. I mean, he could just come out with the poppiest crap, but he came out with great popular music that was challenging and uh, appealing to the musician because his whole band was excellent. He's a fantastic drummer. He always had the best bass players. He, uh, I mean, his guitar player, songwriting partner, Daryl Sturmer, is one of the finest underrated guitar players there is. He is what I aspire to be as a man. Do you play music as well? I do, yeah. I played the bass a lot when I was younger. I want to say since I was like 10 until my early 20s, I played fairly regularly. So are you in any any bands currently? No, comedy takes up my whole life. Right. (laughs) But uh, I love music. I have a deep appreciation for music. So I guess you were saying that's the uh, running joke on your musical jokes. Yeah, exactly. I can play music very well, um, but I don't. Right. That's the that's the gag. Any plans to get back into it? Sure. I've thought about hitting up the jams in town. A couple friends of mine run a couple of them, so it's a time thing. I value my Saturdays and my Sunday evenings. Yeah. Um, and I'm not in town that much on weekends, so touring. Yeah, going like, away out of town. I've past couple months I've been gone more than I've been here. Where's your so. favorite place to go on tour? Oh, that's a tough one. I like Kelowna. It's fun up there. Um, it's really comfortable room but nothing's like performing in town at a hot comedy club that's for sure <laughs> i hear a lot uh, about Kelowna, actually like a few guests uh on this show are from there and it's, it sounds like uh they may be fostering a burgeoning comedy scene i think they are yeah i know um dakota's is the regular room there run by dave cop who's done a lot trying to raise the you know amateur comedy scene in Kelowna. And a lot of people then come here, so the connections are made for bringing people back, etc. I don't know much about the improv and sketch worlds, but uh, UBCO is there, and anywhere there's a university, there's bound to be an improv troupe, you know? So I think it's up and coming, for sure. What do you think of the scene in Victoria? Well, Victoria is, is great. It's small, very tight-knit, and uh, there's some really funny people from Victoria. I mean, Kevin Banner was 
one of the first guys to make the jump. This is a few years ago. I want to say six, seven years ago, he moved to Vancouver and really was establishing himself. Yeah, I think right now we recently got uh, Darcy Collins, Darcy Boone Collins, who's one of the funniest guys Victoria has, and it's really great to have him in Vancouver. Uh, so, so this was supposed to tack on to the end of my Phil Collins question. Okay, but I feel like we got on a pretty good tangent <laughs> just then. Have you done some writing for Beyond Yacht Rock? Yeah, I wrote a couple of uh, blog posts for them. Uh, then they took a hiatus and didn't post my other ones, but I gotta email them again. Yeah, I um, I love that style of music. You know, uh, yacht rock. Are you familiar with the genre that they defined? Did they define it? Oh yeah, Beyond Yacht Rock. Yeah, for sure. There's. Did you ever watch the uh, web series, or it was a no, Channel One Hundred One just... series called Yacht Rock? Well, it was made by these guys who defined that genre of music as pretty much. Uh, the era is late 70s to early 80s, kind of R&B influence, but with kind of jazz complexity. Usually, you know, early 30s white men talking about heartbreak and how much of a fool they are with the best L.A.-based studio musicians. So some examples of that would be, obviously, Phil Collins. Uh, no, Phil Collins no. isn't considered Yacht Rock. No, oh, there, more there like uh, the Doobie Brothers, Toto. Uh, so Michael Jackson, uh, Nielsen and Pearson, uh, Steely Dan, guys like that. Like Steve Miller band? No, Steve Miller is uh, too rock. I think I just don't get it then. Yeah, yeah, you'll have to go and listen through it, but I... <laughs> There'd be a, a, a big Venn diagram overlap with dad rock. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, very much. Like, you know the Doobie Brothers, right? Yeah, I mean, I love dad rock. I don't even know what dad rock is. I fear that's not as defined enough for me. I would say... Dad, dad rock, uh, just to give examples rather than a definition, would be things like like Phil Collins, like Steely Dan, yeah. like Steve Miller Band. Led Zeppelin are probably the kings of dad rock. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's f- Just stuff that, um, you know, I don't know specifically you or even specifically me, but the kind of things when your dad would come in and maybe you're listening to some contemporary music and he's sure. a bit drunk and he'll say, you guys want to hear some real music? Yeah, yeah. He gets out of his 8-track or laser disc. <laughs> and, and, yeah, that kind of stuff. That's dad rock. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I So I love dad a, rock. It's more of a state of mind than a defined genre. Oh, for sure. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. I, uh, I love dad rock. Yeah. Absolutely. But I really love yacht rock because of its reliance on studio musicians. And as a fan of musicians and musicianship, that means a lot. Because I want to hear the guys behind the record who aren't on the record itself, you know? They're in the liner notes saying guitar by Steve Lukather, you know, drums by Jeff Percaro. Right. You know, Greg Falangani's playing keys. Which led me to develop a measure of yacht rock called the Lukath score, which... um... I love it so much. The Lukath score? The Lukath score, yeah. It uh, evaluates uh, songs and gives them a score, uh, but the songs have to include uh, or feature guitar player Steve Lukather. Right. <laughs> who played with Toto. Who's so, so is the binary score just zero or one? No, it's out of five, uh, which has been a while since I've really looked at it, so I don't want to go too much into it, but I fully explained it on the first blog post there okay. of different measures of you know how much uh, Steve Lukather came all over the track. You, you can find that uh, on samtowning.com. That's, that's right. right. Yeah, it's yeah. right there. I linked to it. For anyone on CITR, thanks so much for tuning in. That's the end of our time slot, but you can hear the full episode along with other podcasts on cavegoblins.com. For anyone else, stick around. We've still got lots more to talk about with Sam. But before the show, I asked Sam about a comedic influence to talk about today, and he came back to me with Dennis Miller. So what does Dennis Miller mean to you? He's the coolest comedian there ever has been. 
Well, that's probably an overstatement. But uh, he, Dennis Miller made me think I could actually do it. What makes you say that? I don't really know because I don't have a similar style to him or anything. I think more off stage, I'm much more like Dennis Miller than I am on stage. But the first time I watched Black and White, which is available on YouTube, <laughs> probably shouldn't be, but it is, I was like, oh, you can be smart and do comedy. That was a big realization. Like, I'm not smart and I don't tell smart comedy, but it was like, oh, this is available to everybody as an option. And he just tells great jokes. So really that realization that, okay, this is worth doing even more. He was the one who kind of triggered that light bulb, turned it on. Where did you first discover him? First discovered him as a teenager. He had a program on HBO called Dennis Miller Live. Did you, have you ever seen that? Uh, I have not. Well, it was really where The Rants came from, which were his very popular book series. Uh, uh, it would be, it's a half hour weekly single theme talk show. He would come out, do his monologue on a topic, have a guest. They'd talk about it, take some calls sometimes. And at the end, he'd finish with a rant. And I remember that. It was a fantastic program. I think it won a couple of Emmys at Cable Ace. And that ran from the mid-90s to the early mid-2000s. So that was my first kind of real introduction to Dennis Miller. And before that, he was a cast member on SNL. He was on SNL, that's right, yeah. Yeah. he was. And Vulture said he was like the greatest weekend update anchor. And then I wouldn't say they were wrong. Yeah, it's always interesting to see uh, Weekend Update credited as separate from SNL. Sure, yeah. And yeah, because it's really like the biggest stars on the show at the time at least these days, are the people who do Weekend Update. I don't know about that. Right now in this cast, Kate McKinnon is probably the biggest. That's a good point. And it's, I mean, it's Colin, Jost, and um, uh, I'm blanking on his name. Whoever else. I, I know who you're talking about, but I'm also blanking. <laughs> That's probably I, not I a good say that I say that mainly, uh, the era that I would watch SNL a lot sure. was the mid-2000s. Okay, so that and would have been... So then you've got Will Ferrell into Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and uh, Jimmy Fallon were all Weekend Update. Will Ferrell wasn't a Weekend Update. He was main cast. But uh, that's where he uh, developed the Ron Burgundy character was through Weekend Update. That would probably would have been a character piece. Right. But that So he would have been brought on. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure he wasn't at that time. Well, we'd have to look at the timeline, but he was all-round cast. Right. They would have had someone else or... a duo probably oh i don't know amy or someone yeah and sure. somebody else but yeah well uh you can go back and listen to our <laughs> will ferrell episode and hear me get that wrong in in, in full i might be entirely incorrect and Who knows? it's not the first time i'm i'm daring anyone and i did this in the last episode which came out today uh to well actually me ah. if i'm getting stuff wrong tell me i want to know i want to know if it's uh cringy hearing me just gloss over this subjects these subjects my research is mainly into the the guest in the first <laughs> half, but uh, let's see let's see what happens. Um, so you know you can tweet at the show at Comedy Zeitgeist or at Doug Vandalay with uh, how annoyed you are. Let's get that conversation going. So yeah, ex SNL cast member. Oh, this is about his uh, radio program from 2007 to 2015. Oh, that's we glossed over so much yeah. Dennis Miller between then and then. I don't think we're there's an, I don't think we have any hope of doing this chronologically at this point. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, maybe. Yes, he had his radio show. Have you heard about the booking wars? 
Uh, for sure I have, yeah. So that was uh, Leno Letterman when uh, Leno took over The Tonight Show. Letterman left NBC, then went over to uh, CBS for Late Show. And uh, they had agreements where you couldn't play the other talk shows. And uh, especially New York had Dave, L.A. had uh, Leno, and Dennis Miller. So Dennis finished SNL and started a syndicated show, uh, the Dennis Miller show, I think it was called. And he got fucked because of the agreement Leno, or his people, I think it was his manager at the time, I forget her name, uh, made the guests agree to appear on The Tonight Show, as you can't do the competing shows. So they didn't have access to many people. Do they still all. do that now? Uh, it's, uh, probably, yeah. I, so mean, I imagine because... Uh, for sure. California has pretty strict laws against non-competition clauses, at least in the professional world. I'm sure for employment and, contracts, it's different than independent contractors appearing on television, um, especially because doing a talk show wouldn't be considered employment. Right, of course. But it I mean, still, it still seems like there's some exploitation happening there in that sense. I don't know. That would be an interesting topic, and I'm sure if that was actually the case, hmm. it would have been challenged. Yeah, but I mean, well, well, Sam, I'm giving you my uh, on-air permission to go on any show you want after this. <laughs> I mean, my one on Sunday night. Oh, and except that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, he got fucked. That was where. Ooh, who do I want to say he gave really like an early start to on late night TV? Uh, Brian Regan was on his show. Um, he had so many great stand-ups. Whoever was really popping, and wasn't quite there yet to be on the tonight show could do dennis miller and so this would have been like 92 and he would have had like a really early say brian regan for example on that show and now brian's huge right yeah i mean i always thought brian regan was the genuinely funny version of dan cook <laughs> well, dan cook he's funny in his own right but yeah. he did have a, a lot more stardom than maybe he should have compared to a lot of other comics at the time well i don't know about should is such a weird thing it, to talk it is about like yeah because I know he what you mean. appealed to so many people and he reached them right whereas the other comics who could have appealed to so many people um you know let's think like boston comics in the early 2000s like really of that similar kind of style they didn't take advantage of new technology like he did yeah. he was the first myspace comic right right and yeah that was huge i guess i i'm being kind of elitist there i think he, he was big around the same time that i was uh you know in my late teens and i was kind of gatekeepy about yeah sure like that. and so maybe i've got a bit of leftover resentment there but i i get it mm. completely and i don't know like if it's clear i don't i'm not a comedy elitist yeah at all Funny's funny, right? And that's the only thing that really matters to me, right? How you do it, like Carrot Top, I respect Carrot Top. Yeah, the guy kills. That's enough. You know, as long as you're not stealing jokes or doing old jokes, yeah, that's yeah. enough for me. And uh, that's what makes like a guy like Dane Cook. Like, yeah, I see why he's appealing, and I, you can never take that away from him. Yeah, sure, I prefer like a Mitch Hedberg, right? Yeah. But I can see why Dan Cook hit. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Sort of appeal. I guess it's a lot of what we were talking about with Phil Collins as well. For sure. People who hate on Phil Collins for being a quote mark sellout. Yeah. But, you know, I don't think he sold any integrity to do that. He just made the music he wanted to make. Exactly. He 
He is, in my opinion, one of the greatest pop producers of all time. Yeah, he's huge. He's um, over four decades has been huge. That's amazing. 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, into the 2010s. His tour right now is still massive. I flew to England to see Phil Collins at the Royal Albert Hall in 2016 on his opening show of that tour. Did he kill it? He destroyed. It was amazing. It brought tears to my eyes to go see a man live I thought I'd never see. That'll be one of those ones that I'll regret if... uh... If he passes before I get to see him. Well, he's well, on tour right now. Yeah, well, he's, he's, he's still uh, pretty prime. He's not too old. Oh, he's sitting down on stage when he sings, and he's not playing drums. Yeah, but, you know, he's not like a... <laughs> he's not in a wheelchair yet. He's not... Who's the example I'm thinking of? Why can I remember his real name and not his stage name? Robert Zimmerman. Yeah, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. How yeah. did I forget the name Bob Dylan? <laughs> I don't know, man. That's pretty funny, though. I've I, I've literally never done that before with him. Maybe it's because every time I think of him, I think of his real name. Yeah, okay. And so that that point sticks. It's very anti-Semitic, but that's all right. Well, wouldn't you say it's more anti-Semitic <laughs> to erase his name? No, no. Yeah. You know all these people who, oh, you know his real name is this. Well, not his, not necessarily his real name. I wasn't born with the name Vandalay for you guests <laughs> out there. Nor was I born with the name Tonic. Really? Yeah, stage okay. name. Yeah. Right. Well, mine's not a stage name. It's it's uh, legal, but oh. that's a story for if I'm ever a guest on a different show. <laughs> I've written here, Arsenio Hall, still angered by the booking wars, reacted to the news of Miller's cancellation by saying he should be staying and punk-ass Leno should be going. Sure. Yeah. Arsenio so, was very hip. Yeah. And, so, was, um, so was Dennis. Did they uh, collaborate much? But they, no. They were part of that, that same sort of thing as the Arsenio Hall show was on. Maybe at the same time. Yeah, it was all competing, but, I mean, the syndicated against the networks, you know? Yeah. Well, actually, I don't know if Dennis Miller was syndicated. He might have been cable, but, um, yeah, it, it was network versus non-network. I'd love to check out some of his interviews. Yeah, I mean, sure. the ones to check out are Dennis Miller Live when he was on HBO. Yeah. There's a ton of it on YouTube, and it's fantastic. There's one up there. He's talking to uh, Bill Maher about... Effectively, our college is becoming too PC. And this is in the late 90s or something. So it's like the same bullshit conversation we're having right now about college campuses. Right. right? Like, it's going on forever. But I mean, there's, there's always, yeah, there's always been jokes about college, college campuses. Yeah, exactly. It's the same kind of, the. it's interesting to hear that what so many people are griping about right now, like, oh, you know, college is too PC that kind of crap because i don't buy it you know like i know the jokes that i tell i don't think people are too pc if people don't buy the jokes i'm telling that's a me problem not a them problem right yeah and that people were kind of complaining about it like they are now but you know back in the 90s that's pretty funny you know (laughs) it is interesting when people complain about the people who don't enjoy their work yeah it's like come on so what who cares you know they shouldn't spend that energy on the people that aren't enjoying them and the people that are not enjoying them shouldn't spend that energy on them either yeah and but you know i don't control anyone else's energy right yeah and why should i care about other people's energy i can only care about my own now if i'm doing something that nobody likes i should also have some self-awareness and that's i mean a given for anything of course but uh yeah there's some great conversations that uh on dennis miller live well it's, it's something i wanted to talk about with dennis miller as well obviously sure. he gets into a lot of controversy these days yeah with being rather far right leaning in some eyes 
And, yeah, uh, I mean, he's... <laughs> it's, it seems like it's been getting more and more compounded over the years. Like maybe, sure, he's... maybe he's been further and further into his own bubble, like in the same way that he would say people would go into a, like a leftist bubble. He's an old white guy. Yeah. I mean, of course he's going to be like this. You know, he's, he's never been a, a left winger. Yeah. I mean, even early on in his stuff, no, not really. He wasn't. He's always had that kind of uh, social liberalism, but very deep fiscal conservatism and, you know, pro-military bent, you know? He's always had it. And since, more recently, when he's older <laughs> and he has to appeal to a market, he's going to lean on that much more. But pretty so, much... So you think he's leaning into that for... For the market, for I the... think he'll be more open about it. He can feel safe doing it because, like, of course, now I have these opinions, and I've already been established as a kind of a, a controversial person. I may as well just keep speaking up, right? Yeah, you feel more comfortable revealing your true self when everyone thinks you're shit anyway, right? Um, but by any kind of definition, he's not an extremely right wing guy, right. but. He's in an industry and surrounded by comedians who are who don't share his views. He's an extreme in the spectrum of comedy, you know. But as far as representing like the American population, I mean, he's not. He's still very liberal socially, for example. I know? think the main thing that stood, stood out to me, because uh, as someone who's, I'm talking about Dennis Miller here. Sure. As someone who's so pro free speech. Yes. And, you know, anti-censorship, especially in comedy, when he made yeah. that... I'm sure you know what I'm talking about here with Michelle Wolf. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, so uh, for those who don't know, so Michelle Wolf hosted the... Uh, was it the C-SPAN Correspondents uh, It was the Washington Correspondents Dinner, yeah. Yeah, and uh, where traditionally the president will show up and get roasted by some comedians, and it's it's uh, usually all, all in good fun. Like, there's actually a really good classic one where um, uh, Obama actually roasted donald trump before he was even running yeah sure but anyway so trump didn't show up for whatever reason and sarah huckabee sanders went in his place and michelle wolf in my opinion roasted her actually quite tastefully like she didn't get too ad hominem with it uh and then a lot of people on the right and republicans things had a big problem with it and Dennis Miller said, uh, what a hard human being Michelle Wolf is. I'm going to read up on her over the next couple of days, and I will have a brutally mean joke about her by Wednesday. What an idiot, huh? Yeah, it just seems like the biggest misstep you can make as a professional comedian oh, is sure. to say, you know, I don't have anything funny to say, but I just want you to know that I'm tr like, I want to say something. Yeah. It's th really just throwing your hat into the ring without any gloves on. <laughs> I think the worst part is he took a pot shot at a comic. Without having anything to back it up. Yeah, exactly. Michelle Wolf went and did Michelle Wolf, which means very funny. And there were good jokes by any measure. If you're a comedian, you should recognize there were good jokes. Because yeah, they were. They were. And uh, yeah, that really revealed so many people as hypocrites. And uh, Dennis Miller, definitely one of them. Yeah. So I, I must admit that... It's part of why I haven't looked into him too much, which I guess is, is in a way something I can reflect upon myself on and that maybe I, I shouldn't judge him by that. Absolutely not. Uh, no, you should judge nothing, him. Because it's got nothing to do with his... 19 his, uh, yeah. 
88, 89, when he recorded Mr. Miller Goes to Washington. Then the next year, or the year after that, when he came out with Black and White. Then he came out with All In, and uh, they still shoot HBO specials, don't they? All the way up until the Millennium Special, which is about five HBO one-hour comedy specials, were packed with jokes that are not current Dennis Miller. They aren't the political Dennis Miller. But those first two specials are unbelievable comedy specials. And they are of the time, that's for sure. I mean, you can't... They Would they hold up as current style of comedy? No, absolutely not. But I think anyone who could take comedy seriously will watch those and be like, oh, those were big specials. Yeah. And they were extremely well done. Um, produced and innovative as well. I mean, everyone was talking about, oh, wow, Bill Burr shot a special in black and white, right? Black and white was shot in black and white. Oh, wow, Louis shot a special at the comedy store. Amazing, right? Oh, Dennis Miller shot this at the Improv in Tempe, you know, a 400-seater great comedy club, right? Um, we don't even remember that. We don't even know about that part of Dennis Miller, that, you know, 13-year span when he started on SNL, got into stand-up only, had his talk shows all the way in the 90s, as he was unbelievable as a comic. And he did smart comedy from a smart perspective, and it was silly. He was such a goofy act on, so he was full smart, but he had this childlike silliness that was amazing how he would laugh <laughs> and it was great um but so many people you included won't even go back and look at that because now he's an idiot well i mean i will now but uh, you called yourself up for it right i did yeah and i, I try to do that i try to own up to oh always we have to right that's not a failing don't <laughs> not a failing okay all right thank you for uh Thank you for rescuing me from my own guilt. But we we owe it to ourselves as fans of comedy to not just discount someone's entire body of work based on recent things that we don't like, you know? Like, oh, wow, you know, uh, Ron White's new comedy special isn't that great. Ron White's early stuff is unbelievable. Ron White's stuff five years ago is killer, right? So just because someone comes out with a shitty special or even has politics we don't agree with, does that mean we should not even look at their stuff i don't i don't think we shouldn't i think we should take the opportunity to see something we're not really kind of in support of because it may still be good comedy just not for us right so but black and white mr miller goes to washington all of dennis miller live uh his ill-fated talk show are perfect examples of why he matters as a comedian because he was the hippest smartest act around all right well i'll be sure to check that out uh, what are you working on right now? Well, uh, wall-to-wall comedy is big. That pitched another show to Yuck Yucks, uh, which I won't talk about yet. Uh, I want to get musical jokes back on the road. Brett Martin show every month is crazy busy. Weekly radio show. Very busy. Yeah, sounds like <laughs> it. And lots of road work. Where can people follow you online? Uh, SamTony.com has links to all social and a calendar of upcoming stuff. All right. That's what I recommend, yeah. Well, thanks for coming tonight, Sam. Thank you very much, Doug. I appreciate you inviting me on, and this was uh, a great show. And may it continue as fantastic as it has up until today. That was very kind words. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Sam Tunning talking about Dennis Miller. Join me next week when I talk to Kevin Getz about Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Thanks for listening, everybody. 
Be sure to follow us on all social media at Cave Goblins and check out what we're doing over on CaveGoblins.com. Please rate and review the show on iTunes. It's absolutely the best way to support the show at no cost. You can find this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, and everywhere you listen. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Comedy Zeitgeist. I'm Doug Vandalay. See you next time. Thank you.